it, it never was, right? It was always more presented heavy handed that we're here to monitor you and make sure you're doing what we want you to do. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So, so Jason, uh, we've got a special guest with us today to talk about the, uh, the remote work life, um, you know, managing remote teams. Like this is a topic we've we've dug into a couple times. Uh, it's um, one that we always kind of hit on um, from from time to time. So this week we have Liam Martin joining us for a discussion and a debate around remote work in general, uh, fostering collaboration with remote teams and how to manage uh, remote workers. So uh, for our listeners, Liam is a ser- serial entrepreneur who runs Time Doctor and Staff.com, one of the most popular time tracking and productivity software platforms used by various top brands today. Um, he's also the co-organizer of the world's largest remote work conference uh, called Running Remote. Um, and Liam, based on the the information that uh, your team sent over, we see that you live in Canada, but you're traveling anywhere from a quarter to to half of the year due to to embracing um, you know remote work and the remote work life. <clears throat> so. Um, before we we really get started, you know, I wanted to turn it over to you real quick. You know, tell our listeners a little more about yourself, your your working philosophy, and and how you got to this point. Sure. So, number one, I always love getting introduced as a special guest. Uh, <laughs> almost every podcast that I've been on, it's like you know, my special guest, my, my this is someone really special, and uh, it's great because I just feel special every single time I come on one of these things. Number two is you're right. Uh, I am traveling about six months out of the year. About four days ago, I was in Urgada in Salhashish, Egypt, uh, speaking at Vested Summit, which is basically a, a technology conference on conscious technology. And I travel about six months out of the year. So I'm Canadian, as you had mentioned before. And in Canada, from January till about April, it's really horrible to be here. So we usually get out of here. I think this year we're going to be doing uh, Medellin and do like Bali or Mexico or Thailand. We just choose a place every single winter to go. So I'm kind of like, I'm sure you guys probably know the terminology digital nomad. I, I would say I'm probably like a midnight digital nomad, spend about six months out of the year traveling, and then also have the ability to be able to build a remote first business, which is something that I'm also very passionate about because I wouldn't have built a conference uh, on that subject otherwise. That sounds amazing. It also sounds a bit tiring. So I'm. It's, that's awesome. You have the energy to to do that. Um, but I, I think it's it's great that you're you're embracing the flexibility. Um, it's one of the things that I think a, a lot of people that are first timers into the remote world don't take as much advantage of being mm-hmm. remote as they they could because there's a fear there, right? There's a fear that well, people are 
thinking I'm just out messing around and not doing my job so they don't take full advantage of it. And I think it's, it's unfortunate. So it's awesome to see you're living it to the fullest. Yeah, I'm not the usual, you know, remote worker. The vast majority of remote workers work from home. Uh, and I think that actually is going to be changing pretty soon. I think with the rise of remote work and people becoming a lot more comfortable with it, uh, you're absolutely right <clears throat> that like particularly inside of large corporate, the number one question that a large corporate client or company would ask when they deploy a remote working agreement is, well, how do I know what they're doing? And how do I know that they're productive? And so we solved that with a software solution, which I'm sure we're probably going to get into. But um, the other part of this is like, once people have recognized that those metrics are good, then they can start to experiment with maybe, you know, moving to a nice warm country during the winter, kind of like uh, up in Canada, we have what's called snowbirding. So I was going to bring that up. Yep. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm, that term. I'm just like a non-retired snowbird, basically. And uh, it's awesome. <laughs> That I is love awesome. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I know sure. a few people that you know head to Florida for a good two to three months. Uh, yeah, I right never know why they go to Florida because like it's more expensive to go to Florida, and I usually go to countries that end up generally the way that I like to do it is: can I Airbnb my place, and can I basically pay my full mortgage? on that Airbnb. So I'm basically living for free. Like my property is, is paying for itself. And then I just go to a country that's nice and cheap. Uh, and there's plenty of really fantastic countries with amazing internet, really good communities. Uh, I'm very excited about going to Medellin. It's one of the hubs for digital nomadism and remote work in the world. And it's just like these communities exist and they're getting much bigger every single year. So it's a really exciting movement that's starting to happen. Yeah, it's very cool. And we had uh, we had a guy named John that worked with us for several years who was uh, a digital nomad. He grew up working in Silicon Valley, kind of got tired of it. And when he approached us about working with us, he's like, I just want the flexibility. And he really embraced it. And he finally settled in in Thailand. But it was cool to see him hit all of these places and and show all this amazing food and everything he was eating is like, you know, $5 for the day. I'm good. You know, and it was like, I'm embracing kind of the cheapness. And then on the flip side, you know, kind of mocking us for the amazing internet speeds he had in some village in Thailand that was way better than we have in the cities here in the United States. So good stuff. Yeah, I think that traveling generally makes you a lot less of a dick. Like the more you can travel and understand different people's perspectives in the world, yeah the more, uh, the nicer you are to others, the more understanding you are of different cultures. So it's one of those gifts that, um, not many people really understand it, but I know for me, it's just, my personality has completely changed now yeah. that I've really committed to traveling and understanding different cultures. And I wouldn't give that up for anything. Yeah, no, that's a great call out. So you mentioned product and, you know, as I was thinking about this podcast and and kind of thinking about where I wanted to to take the conversation, it was one of the things that jumped out, out to me because I think uh, some of your team members and I have had discussions in the past about maybe doing some joint collateral. And I, w I was frankly just concerned about it um, because um, I was worried about Kind of our culture maybe being in conflict with the culture of of time doctor um mm -hmm. you know specifically some of the things around tracking time and web app usage where you know those type of things were kind of core to why i 
created 33 sticks working in consulting. I hated someone tracking every minute of my time and looking over my shoulder. Um, but you know, the more I prepared and the more I kind of listened to some of your keynotes, um, you know, I thought I think that takes away from the conversation and the value that our listeners can can take away from this and what I would rather focus on um, and be completely open to because we have a small company um, is, you know, maybe there's some things that legitimately are very, very difficult to scale. And it's one of the things when I talk to anti remote anti, you know, having flexibility outside of an office people, one of the big things that they say right up front is. That, that works great with a small company, but there's no way you can scale that. Um, right. And I, I'm not sure what the size of your company is. I want to say I read somewhere it was 70 plus. About 100 people right now. Okay, that's a, yeah. that's a good size. Um, you know, having built a company previous to this that got up to the 50, 60 mark, that was big and really hard to manage. Um, right. So, you know, doubling that, I, I imagine, is even that much more complex. So, you know, I would love to hear from you some of the things you learned in that scale, because again, the, the naysayers say you can't, it can't be scaled. Um, mm -hmm. So I would love to hear from you. And maybe that has gone in to help inform some of the things you've built into Time Doctor. Say, you know, some of these things just we learned are critical to getting over a certain size. Got it. Well, number one, um, it's too bad that we can't jump into more of the drama. Maybe we could hold that towards the end where we could talk about the efficacy <laughs> of time tracking, because I think it would make for a very exciting podcast. But By all terms, means, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, I think maybe people are listening right now and thinking, oh, what's he going to talk about at the end? Maybe we talk about it at the end of this podcast. Right. You're going to have to listen to the entire thing. Stay tuned. No, to stay tuned. But I can talk about remote work in general. And this is something that like I've committed the last 15 years of my life to working remotely, right? When I started, it was telework. It wasn't, we, it was telework and it was outsourcing, right? Like that's what it was called. And this new terminology of remote work has really only arisen over the last couple of years. Um, and I got to tell you, it's not an issue of a nice to have. It's not a happy little employee perk. The data is very clear within 10 years, if you do not know how to deploy a remote team, you're gonna be out of business. So it's not an issue of basically all of those naysayers. I mean, within the next five to 10 years, they'll all switch over um, because it's, I mean, remote employees have a 35% higher retention rate than their on-premise counterparts. We're about 40 to 50% faster to hire than on-premise employees. And more importantly, they're about 40% more productive than their on-premise counterparts. And literally, if you just delete a drive in and out, right, um, the amount of stress that you're going to relieve from, from that process, the amount of time that you're gonna spend doing these things that are like around work, but aren't actually focused on work, the, the math is very clear. It's going to be the majority of work uh, within the next 10 years. There's most, most projections, there's three major studies. One of them puts it down at 2026, Another one has it at two others have it at 2027 that 50% of the US workforce will be working remotely the majority of the time by 2027. So this is something that people really have to prepare for. And if you don't have the ability to sit down and understand how remote work works, uh, then you are going to be left behind. And at running remote, as an example, we really try to shine a light on those types of companies. So last year, uh, which was just a couple months ago, we had Marcy Murray, who's the director of support for Shopify. 
and Shopify went from zero remote support reps to 2,000 remote support reps in three years. They actually now, Shopify, multi-billion dollar company, consider themselves a remote company. The vast majority of their employees are remote. So it's one of those things that some companies are not very direct about it, but a lot of companies are going remote very, very quickly because, and at the end of the day, for these larger companies, it's dollars and cents. It's Forget about like making the employee a lot happier, which it undoubtedly does, um, and making them a lot less stressed out in their lives and be able to work a lot more flexibly. Large corporate are saying, well, this makes the employee a lot more productive and a lot more cost effective. So therefore, it is something that we must do. So even if we carve out some of the uh, maybe back and forth on on some of the ethical things, there's way too many things I want to ask you that we're never going to get to it in the hour. I'm I'm fascinated with with kind of your experience just because you know we we've been in this um, as well. So we're our company is going on seven years old. We started it as a remote first company, um, and it's something that we're really passionate about and something that we often run into roadblocks with. And so a couple of things that I want to ask you one. Uh, we so our our background is data. So we we advise companies um, with with data, um, and and we work heavily in the analytics space. And as you mentioned, um, the ability to work anywhere is more important than ever for potential employees. Uh, yet we work with some really really large brands that are located maybe in Manhattan, in downtown San Francisco, uh, in LA, that have come to us and said, "We need your help hiring good analytics resources." You know, we thought we could hire someone here because we live in a city of 8 million, but we can't. Um, And I'm like, well, you should think about hiring a remote. These people want the flexibility to work everywhere. And rather than being open to that, they just keep the job rec open for months and sometimes years. What what do you say to a company where they're they're choosing? I think Um, we lost Jim or Jason, huh? Yeah, it should pick back up in a second. Hopefully... It was coming to a beautiful climax. <laughs> so while we're waiting for, for, for Jason to come back, uh, sure. a, a fun question, you know, I, I thought of, you know, to kind of talk about a bit about like, you know, the flexibility of being where you want to be, you know, in, you know, cold, you know, during the winter, being able to go to, to a, a warm weather climate, like right now with your team, like who, Where's like the most obscure place do you have somebody somebody based? Oh, um, it's a little island off the coast of Africa. Shit, I can't remember the name <laughs> of the country. Um, it is in uh, yeah. Let me just go map of Africa. So it is a uh, Mauritius, uh, which is so a is very small again? Mauritius the island of Mauritius, which is a very small island off the coast of Africa. And uh, his name's Anton, and he's actually our director of support. Oh, okay. And the beauty of having him in Mauritius is he is actually perfectly in between the U.S. time zone and the European and Southeast Asian time zone. So he's able to bridge those two teams. So we have like basically one team that handles one side of the planet and we have another team that handles another side of the planet. And he does morning meetings with one group and afternoon meetings with the other. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was like, it was somewhat strategic Mm -hmm. in the person that we wanted uh, for that particular role. 
But Mauritius is a very small country, um, you know, one or two million people. And it's it's awesome. It's super chill. Uh, at least I've never been there, but it looks mm -hmm. super chill from what I've seen. And we've got people, we have people in 32 different countries right now. So we've got people pretty much everywhere. I think we're represented on every single continent except for um, Antarctica. And which uh, if someone is represented in Antarctica, that would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> please show me that person. But uh, yeah, I mean, for us, we really have the, our mission statement as a company is we want to empower people to work wherever they want, whenever they want. Mm -hmm. So what are the technological barriers? What are the informational barriers that you, um, that you need to surpass in order to be able to work remotely? So that's why we would build something like time tracking tool for remote teams on one side. And then on the other side, we would do a conference on remote work, which seems very disconnected, but they still serve that main goal. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I'll re-ask. Um, and that was unfortunate timing because I think I was on a, a you were on a good rant. It was yeah, you were building yeah. something really good. There was a pop and like everything went down. I think a transformer blew or something. I don't know what happened. Okay. It's our first winter storm of the season and apparently we can't handle it. Um, <laughs> all right. So, you know, we, we work in analytics, um, and there's a, a very real shortage of analytics professionals in, in the space. And we also work with a lot of big companies that are in popular destinations like Manhattan, San Francisco, LA. And one of the things that we're asked a lot is we need help hiring qualified candidates for our open analytics positions. And the more I dig into it, I find out, you know, this is oftentimes months they've been trying to hire. Um, and we talk about the importance of spreading out and enlarging your talent pool by allowing for remote employees. And there's often from these larger companies pushback. Um, I don't think it's from individuals, but from a corporate perspective, there's a lot of pushback. And oftentimes I will go back and check up you know, three, six months, sometimes a year later, just to find out that the job recs are still open, that they would rather leave them open rather than being open to hiring remotely. So my, my question to you is, you know, what would you say to companies like that, where it's, it's almost like we would rather have nothing than to have someone who is not located in the office? Right. So I think that there are a lot of components to overcome when you are building a remote team, right? And, and we could go on for hours about how to do that. Uh, the best thing to do, huge plug, is just go to running remote because there you'll be able to learn everything that you possibly need to know about that particular subject. But to get more specifically in on that, I think that the those types of companies, and you know, you're talking about Manhattan and you're talking about the Valley. There is a formula, and this was somewhat uh, ironic because when we first looked at raising money for Time Doctor, uh, we got about four term sheets. And in every single term sheet, it was, your numbers look great, let's do the Series A, but you have to move everyone to Palo Alto, Boston, Toronto, Montreal, New York. Yeah. And when we asked them why, they would say, listen, we're venture capitalists, trust us. <laughs> and we said, but we're a remote first company and we're selling a tool for remote work. So doesn't that seem a little counterintuitive? And again, they would say, we're venture capitalists, trust us. And there's a formula, right? That like venture does, a lot of tech startups are gonna follow and remote work just isn't weighted inside of that formula yet. Uh, 
And I believe that as we start to see more examples, uh, the one that popped to mind immediately was Envision when you were talking about this. So Envision is a company that's less than five years old. It is uh, one of the fastest unicorns ever. I believe they're profitable. They have over a thousand employees and they're entirely remote first. Uh, Dimitri, who is the co-founder of GitLab, a thousand employees, multi-billion dollar valuation company, and completely remote first. He actually still lives in Kiev um, and drives a Volkswagen, which blew me away because he's got more than enough money to buy something nicer. If he's listening to this, you should upgrade your car. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so like the, there are these companies that are popping up that are either, I almost kind of see in the remote workspace, the first guard wanted to do it for freedom. So let's say you're building like a five, 10, $20 million ARR type of SaaS business as an example. And maybe you're, you've got a couple million dollars in EBITDA in your bank, uh, you know, in your books, and you've got maybe 50 or 60 people in your company and you're doing really well and you're happy and you're free and you can do what you want. That's one side of it. The new guard that's just popping up are saying, no, no, you can actually build companies for scale and here's exactly how you do it because nothing beats a 40% increase in productivity or, to be honest with you, a drop in costs. Um, Envision, they made the decision to hire remote very specifically because they knew that they couldn't compete in San Francisco or New York for talent. And they were able to acquire much higher quality talent at sometimes a lower cost, but sometimes the same effective cost. But you could find you know, the top one percenter in um, Salt Lake City, as an example, that's doing analytics, but for the same salary in San Francisco, maybe you get a middle-level guy. Well, who yeah, do you want? Right. You know, it's just like that's the reality of what's currently happening right now. And there are a lot of companies in the space that are completely cleaning up in terms of talent. Uh, I actually think that's probably going to disappear within the next eighteen to twenty-four months, where these companies are going to realize, oh shit, we we should not have made this decision um, because these other companies are eating our lunch. Just and, and the only reason why they're eating our lunch is because they have better talent that's more cost-effectively deployed. So I think that's going to change. Um, it just hasn't happened yet because I bet you, and at least from my discussions, it comes from the venture. It comes from the guys that are just like, for some reason... They want everyone to be within like walking distance, right? They want to be able to like drive over and say like, here are all these employees in the company as a venture capitalist. What the hell is going on? I also think if you want to get into it a little bit deeper, there is a component of ego that's connected to offices as well. So if you have like a cool office with like 200 people in it and you're the founder of that company, you feel cool. No doubt. Uh, and it's just like, <laughs> no doubt about and, and, and that is cool, right? Like, that's cool. I'm super excited about you spending $300,000 a month on rent uh, that you could have otherwise deployed directly into growth. And eventually that's going to catch up to you. Uh, but enjoy your really cool office while you can. That's basically yeah. my perspective on it. So, so, so let's maybe touch on, on Time Doctor a little bit. And I, I think you've mentioned a couple of times yeah. the importance of um, designing your remote team. 
Um, and maybe I'm going to put some words into your mouth, but I, I think what I'm hearing you say is that you can't just work remote, right? You can't just say, okay, yeah, we're remote first, remote friendly. You have to be deliberate in designing how you're going to work remote to be successful. And I'm, I'm assuming that probably led into a lot of how you designed your, your company, which maybe informed how you're building and maturing your, your product. Um, and so some of the things I'm interested in hearing about, and I'm going to cherry pick a few of, um, based on some of the features in, in your product, mm -hmm. um, time tracking, web app usage, screenshot monitoring. Um, what have you found those things being important to helping build and scale a team? And is it, a, is it across roles? Is it part of the culture? And the reason I bring it up is again, I, I completely understand that I'm coming from a perspective where the people that we are hire have a minimum of 12 to 15 years experience in the space. And, yep. you know, they, they want autonomy and don't want to be looked over, but maybe that's a completely different scenario. If I'm hiring a bunch of 20 year old kids that are just coming out of school to work a call center, maybe they need a little bit more structure. So, you know, I'm open that I'm, I'm pretty biased in, in my view and that we have mm -hmm. a very unique scenario. So, you know, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So I actually, uh, you talked about the company is about 50 to 60 people right now. Or, Our company? Yeah, your company. No, no, no. We're Size. much smaller than that. Oh, okay. um, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're sub 10. Okay. So um, do you know what the Dunbar number is? I don't. So Dunbar number is basically the amount of people inside of an organization in which you no longer see those people as individuals. So uh, another way of communicating it is like the tribe number. And approximately that varies between 100 and 150 people dependent upon your personality type. So you can only kind of measure mentally in your mind about 150 friends. And once you get past that point, anyone outside of that number, of those number of people, is basically a number or you don't really remember their name, that type of a thing. So we've found, uh, at least for us, when we approach large corporate, and I would say people that are outside of the Dunbar number, people cease to become individuals and they start to become data points. And we work with a lot of larger brands like uh, CNN, as an example, um, the guys that everywhere from like Firehouse Subs to Deloitte to KPMG. And what they're really looking for is how can I measure the analytics that are happening inside of my organization? And how can I measure the overall productivity metrics that are going, that are inside of every individual inside of that company? And at the end of the day, um, the remote work agreements are just a deal killer for those companies unless they can have that layer of tracking. Now, internally for us, as an example, uh, I'm currently measuring this call, uh, which is podcast with 33 sticks, and I can then pull that into my podcast project. I can see the ROI of all the other 402 podcasts that I've done over the last two years, figure out exactly how much time was deployed for each particular podcast and what the theoretical ROI is for all of that. And then anyone in my organization can also see my data. So we run it in a sense that like everyone can see everyone else's data. So it's not a perspective of the owner can see what you're doing, but you can't see what the owner is doing. We create an environment where everyone can basically see each other's data. So it's less about me kind of monitoring you. And it's more about 
everyone staying accountable and uh, also just seeing where there's opportunities to become more productive. So is that something that you're seeing in the majority of your your customers, that this is something that is broadly adopted across the entire organization, that everyone's bought into it from a transparency standpoint? I would say probably in, in the vast majority of cases, the initial reason why someone would want to be able to use our product is because they are getting they are getting asked for remote work agreements and they are not interested in doing that without very specific measurements being deployed. This is an example mm-hmm. like the the Marissa Meyer case, which I, I don't know if you guys oh know yeah about the Yahoo case, right? Mm-hmm. So you know if you actually go into the details about that, it was a negative hit for remote work. She's like, hey, remote work doesn't work. Everyone needs to come into the office. But um, if you actually deal into it, delve into some of the more specific details of that case, uh, the problem that she had was they had deployed a VPN, like a Yahoo-based VPN, which is in essence the same sort of thing as Time Doctor. It's going to basically deploy what type of URLs you're accessing and what kind of work you're doing and how long you're logged into the VPN is what they were using as their time tracker. And she had discovered that people had not been accessing this for like five plus years. So she had an, uh, a, a choice to make, which was, if you fire all of these people, uh, how many you know how many legal suits do you have on your hand, uh, on hand, or do you instead bring everyone inside of the company, say, hey, you know, remote work is over, everyone's coming in, and then years later redeploy a remote work agreement, and Yahoo has now redeployed a remote work agreement um, with proper measures in place. So. Generally for us, when we see large corporate, it is, you know, it's just one of those things that's a deal killer for them. And for us, the mission statement of the company is we want to empower people to work wherever they want, whenever they want. And when we look at the SMB space, tech has already really adopted remote work, but large corporate is just not interested. And there are very specific barriers to why they're not interested. And one of them is, well, how do I know what they're doing? Uh, And we provide a solution to that. So do these companies then also have a similar remote or work agreement? Because it, it seems it seems a bit heavy handed to make employees sign this agreement that are working remote. And I guess this is one of the arguments about remote work is that um, there's this fallacy that if I'm in the office and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm doing work, so shouldn't the in-office employees be subjected to the same level of data capture? Yeah. And usually they are. So, I mean, I would probably say in Fortune 500, and this is, maybe this is a spoiler to some people, but probably about 80% of the Fortune 500 has some level of data capture that's happening on the individual level. And a lot of those technologies are subversive. So they're like silent monitoring and, uh, we just don't believe that's actually going to make you more productive. So at the end of the day, our perspective is the employee should be able to have access to their own data so that they can make themselves more productive and then also delete any data that they don't want their employer to see. So when, you know, when you're sitting down for your quarterly review and the manager's manager or something like that, you know, is looking at your file, they may indeed be looking at, you know, what you've been accessing on your computer, but you have no idea that they have that information. And for us, we just don't necessarily think that that's actually going to make anyone, anybody more productive. Uh, I know for yeah. me, 
one of the biggest insights that I had after about using the software for six months is I was really unproductive on Tuesday afternoons. So my productivity metric was just like, just completely bottoming out around two, around 2 PM on Tuesdays. And I couldn't really figure out why until I kind of had this aha moment, which is, I don't know if they have this in the United States, but in Canada, we have cheap movie Tuesdays. So movies are half price on Tuesdays. It's like a matinee show. And uh, the calls start around 2 p.m. So my girlfriend will call me and say, hey, do you want to see Batman or Superman? And I'll say, oh, well, I want to see Batman. And she'll say, of course, we're not seeing Batman. We're seeing Superman. Uh, you know, does Suzanne want to come? I don't know. Okay, call Suzanne. Uh, do you want to see the seven o'clock showing or the nine o'clock showing? And it's just this constant barragement of like interruptions that was pulling me out of flow state focus. So now what I actually do is I do not work Tuesday afternoons at all. And my overall productivity went up. So we also communicate to large corporate, which up until this point has been very difficult that the average work week, as an example, the ideal average work week is about 26 hours and 32 minutes. Uh, we have the data. We have hundreds of thousands of data points in the United States to be able to prove that you're more productive at around that time. Uh, large corporate doesn't really believe in that. Um, if you access Facebook, you are more productive than if you don't. Huh. Counterintuitive, but yeah. it's where the data it's what the data says, right? So we have the data. Uh, and actually, our belief is, is that people that are not uh, accessing Facebook when they are voluntarily tracking time on time doctor are probably doing it on their cell phones in the bathroom because or the VPN has basically locked out Facebook. And when we look at the data, we know that that's not the way you should be doing things. So we just yeah. have a very pragmatic view of like, what is actually going to make someone more productive? And then how can we maximize that type of activity? And there's a lot of counterintuitive data that comes out. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to build on that a little bit because I think it's in direct contrast to what most workers experience has been. Um, meaning that it, if we've been exposed to kind of tracking and, and those types of things, our experience as a corporate employee is typically very negative. It's never been positioned to us as a value add that this is to help us understand our, our psychology, help us understand how to work better and be more productive. I, I think if someone would have presented it that way, maybe there's a completely different story to tell, but it, it never was, right? It was always more presented heavy handed that we're here to monitor you and make sure you're doing what we want you to do, which sounds in direct contrast to the way that, that you're positioning it. And so my question is, how important it is, is it for you and your organization to talk about the importance of building the culture and the right way to deploy it? And it's it's something greater than the software. The software is enabling it, but what's more important is to do it the, the, the right way, right? Because I'll, I'll give you one scenario. When I last I worked in corporate, we had a solution deployed to monitor how productive we were being at our desks. And if we weren't productive, I don't know, 37 hours a week, we were getting dinged down and no one was productive 37 hours a week. Um, one of the engineers built a cool little program that he deployed on everybody's computer that gamed the system. And all of a sudden we looked great. So it was a complete backfire in that the numbers look great. The bosses were happy, but nothing changed. You know, in fact, we were probably less productive. Yeah, uh, I've got the sound compressor right next to me, but hopefully you'll be able to answer this question. Okay, so I think you're absolutely right. If you do not tie this back to a solid KPI, tracking time is worthless, basically, right? So like 
we have a metric. So I'll give you an example. In our sales team, we do not measure the people that win the commission, <clears throat> like the, the, the extra bonus commission every year, sorry, every month, is not the people that close the most deals. It's the person that closes the most deals per hour, generates the most money per hour. So that completely reorganizes the way that the sales team acts. So uh, I had an example where we had uh, a woman who ended up winning the, um, had the most sales for a particular month. And let's just say it's like 5,000 ARR, but she worked 240 hours. So she literally worked like a hundred hours overtime to be able to hit that target within the month. And then the second place person did 4,000 ARR and worked 140 hours. So if you actually divide the ARR by the hours, the person that worked 140 hours and did 4,000 for us is the winner. And reorganizing those KPIs is really important. So then it kind of completely reorganizes the way that you look at the business or the way that you look at your own individual work, which is, well, how productive am I being and what actions am I taking that result in the company making more money or me hitting my individual KPI versus uh, just hitting that, that top end number, which may or may not actually be something that's useful inside of the organization. And I'm sure the organization that you were uh, working in, in the large corporate setting, <clears throat> had the, the actual KPIs that everyone was hit, was, was supposed to hit, was either ill-conceived, like no one actually knew what that number was, or it didn't move at all. And for some reason, people thought that that was great. Yeah. Because it's no. like, well, okay, you're still working 37 hours a week, but like, right. are we making any more money? Does that really, right. is that making anyone happier is that like, I want to make more money. I'm in business to, to make yeah. money. Uh, let's figure out what action results in people making more money. And uh, the vast majority of the time, it's actually very counterintuitive. Working less hours actually makes yeah. you more productive and makes you more money. But, you know, we just follow that information very blindly. And we've been, you know, we've come to very different conclusions. I think the entire basis of work really hasn't changed since the industrial revolution. And we're not like printing widgets, right? We're not in some factory pulling a lever. Like if you can pull the lever 20 more times an hour, yeah, you're gonna make more stuff, but you may actually um, get too tired and your hand may go inside the machine and then you lose a hand, right? And then that's a big problem. And you have to like measure all of these advantages versus disadvantages. So. We've just looked at the data blindly and the, the data has told us, like, I work a 26-hour week because the data tells me that that's the amount of time that I should be spending uh, yeah. on my work. No, it's a, it's a great point. And in full transparency, as you're talking about it, I feel a little guilty not saying that um, I, I use a timer myself. Uh, I have a very basic timer that I use to track my my work cycles. One to keep me focused, but two because you know I'm we're very analytical. I'm a very analytical person and data informed. I collect a lot of data about myself and how I work to right. find out where the best part of my time is to work. And to your point, I can sh I can design my own day, and I know I'm not good at one to three in the afternoon, and I rarely work one to three in the afternoon because I just don't. So I I'm I feel completely comfortable tracking that on myself. Right. But I would have a very difficult time getting over the hurdle of is saying, but I expect Sharing my employees. Yeah. Yeah. So. so I think that that's something that is um, like we share CRM data 
you share like, you know, Jira commits, we share all of these other mm -hmm. types of things. And I just see it as a more granular version of that. Like how long did it take you <clears throat> to solve this ticket on, on Jira as an example? Why did it take you four hours instead of three hours, right? Like what was the, could I help you figure out how to make that process a little bit more productive? What was the planning process beforehand and afterwards and that kind of stuff. And I actually think, here's the other thing that's really interesting about remote work. And the thing that I've discovered in running, uh, running remote for the past two years is everyone has completely different perspectives on how to run a remote team. This is the thing that blew me away the most. I thought that there was going to be like a playbook. And like when I bring in all of these experts about remote work, they were going to be like, oh, well, yeah, everyone should be doing video calls. But there's like, <laughs> there was, I remember I was having this conversation and there was an incredibly successful company that's like doing a hundred million dollars a year remote first company. And they're like, oh, we never do video calls. Video calls are wrong. You know, you shouldn't be doing hmm. those. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> why is that? Right. It, so I found out that basically if you do remote work, whether you're doing time tracking or not, whether you're doing video calls or not, whether you're hiring from San Francisco or hiring from Timbuktu, everyone is getting such a huge productivity increase from it that it doesn't matter. So there are a whole bunch of people that I think are doing remote work like really wrong right now, but it doesn't matter because the overall productivity gains are so huge that they're making up for those initial costs on the front end. Uh, so it, it's kind of interesting. I think within the next four to five years, we'll probably really start to figure out, um, you know, is, is time tracking as critical as it should be? Uh, I personally have a lot of data that, and, and I look at this from a blind perspective. I'm a, in grad school, I was econometrics <clears throat> uh, major. So I definitely think in that, in that same way, I think that it will actually, it does give you a productivity boost. I wouldn't, I would not sell it if I didn't believe that, particularly if you can have access to your own data. This is something else that we've discovered is clients that use uh, a silent version of a kind of like time analytics tool and then use our tool. They, and even if they're told, hey, we're deploying this tool on all of your computers, once they actually have access to their own data, that's where they see a huge productivity increase because they're actually using it, using it actively. And we nerd out yeah. internally, you know, like we have like, we've integrated like our Fitbit and our Ura rings and, you know, um, all of our project management systems and task management systems and all that kind of stuff inside of Time Doctor. So we can measure all of these different variables because for us, we just want to become more productive and really kind of figure out like, what are the, um, what are the, what are the secrets to working productively? And no one's really measured this at scale because we've had this post-industrial revolution perspective that like you should come in at nine and you should leave at five. I don't know who came up with that. Like why not come in at 10 and leave at six or why not come right. in at eight and leave at four? I don't know why. You know, it's just like, that's what everyone's decided to do. And um, we're testing a lot of those assumptions and finding out that they are actually full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to pivot a little bit because I'm interested in one of the other areas of pushback that I hear a lot and would love to get your insights on is that um, a primarily remote or remote first company has a very difficult time innovating and collaborating, that those types of things can really only happen in person. What, what, what would you say to that? 
Uh, to a degree, that is correct. So when you look at the data, remote workers have an 86% uh, lower rate of collaboration than their on-premise counterparts, at least. And this is kind of like when you do survey data. So remote workers collaborate about 86% less than on-premise workers. But uh, I think it's num I think there's two reasons why that's happening. Number one, they're not using the right pieces of technology to be able to create that type of collaboration. So like right now, if you're listening to this podcast, we're all on video. I can see that Jim really likes, uh, you know, hockey. And I can see that Jason is probably very serious about coffee as an example. And I can pick up those types of little nonverbal components of the way that we're communicating. I have a, a general perspective with regards to the level of communication that you have inside of your organization, which is basically like in-person beats video, video beats audio, audio beats in instant messaging, and instant messaging beats email. So you always wanna move up the chain. So ideally, I'd like to be able to have this conversation with you in person. I'm probably gonna get more out of it if I can communicate with you in person, but that would cost us probably four grand for us to all fly and, and be together for that one hour, which is completely illogical when we can probably get 90% of that interaction just by being on video and being able to communicate in that way. So technology and the misuse of technology is a major factor in that. And then I think the second part is education, which is people are not, they may have the tools, but they don't actually have the process in place to be able to get that type of collaborative communication happening. And how does that happen? You know, there's a, there's, again, I don't want to hark back to tools, but there's a lot of tools to be able to help you out on that. But more importantly, it's just communicating face-to-face -face a lot more often, creating that like synchronous communication and making sure that you have those types of spaces to, to exist. Envision has a fantastic tool that we use almost uh, daily now. We have, all have iPads, which I don't have in front of me right now, but it creates like an online whiteboard. So we'll get on a big Zoom call and then we can pull in this collaborative whiteboard and we can literally like write out designs and everyone can be writing over each other's uh, whiteboard. That's the kind of stuff that really deletes those problems where you're getting that level of communication and collaboration that you need. And it's just, there's a lag period, you know, it's like remote work is actually pretty darn new. I've been doing it for 15 years, but like it's only really started to get hot in the last five years. And yeah. out of those last five years, maybe the last two has really been like, whoa, this is something that actual companies can do to build real businesses. So the technology is going to come. So one of the things that uh, I think would be valuable for our listeners would be your um, recommendations or what you would advise them that if they're interested in remote work, what they, what can they do? And the reason I ask this question is a lot of our listeners are like VP of marketing, director of analytics, and they work for multi-billion dollar companies where the feedback is, you know, we love these big topics you tackle, but I'm not going to be able to change this multi-billion dollar company, but maybe I can start small. Maybe I can start within my group and start to have a little ripple of change. And so if our listeners are in these massive companies that don't have a remote friendly environment, but within their groups, there's more and more kind of desire for that. What, what would you advise them to do to help maybe start making some incremental change to get the ball rolling? So I, I have this video, uh, which you can check out on um, 
youtube.com slash running remote, which is like how to convince your boss to work remotely. Because we have a lot of people that actually use Time Doctor. We have a very committed user base, a couple thousand users that use it for their own personal productivity. And a lot of them come to us saying like, well, how do I actually talk to my boss about, about you know, going remote? And the biggest one for me is like small experimentation, right? So talking to, say, your direct report and just say like, hey, I want to be able to work remotely. Um, here are all of the advantages. You can give them a whole bunch of data. You know, if you, if you email me or contact me on YouTube, We'll be able to send you a whole bunch of that documentation about how fantastic it is. Have that. And then the secondary part is, listen, let's create a very small experiment. Why don't we just go remote for a month? And you can measure very directly between my output and someone else in the organization's output. Uh, or maybe I just take a small department and I make them remote. I One of the biggest disasters that I see is a company going completely remote instantaneously that's all on premise yeah. um, because that just people are like what the hell is going on oh i have to jump on this zoom thing what what is this thing i don't know how to use it i was talking with um <laughs> this woman sasha connor who is a consultant for basically taking large corporate remote and i was asking her how she takes these companies remote and she said one of the biggest things that she has to do is sit down and do individual trainings with everyone on how to use zoom because no one's used it before right and for us it's just sort of like what that sounds insane right you just flip it on and, and it's working right but like these guys just don't have that type of of mindset. So you have to really go back to your first principles and just say, yeah. like, how do you communicate effectively? How do you make sure that people are staying accountable? If you wanted to use a tool like Time Doctor, you absolutely could. It would put a lot of your direct reports at ease, as an example, to be able to deploy that type of a tool. Uh, but if you're not doing that, just do some type of task or project management system and very clearly define your KPIs. That's another thing that I think going remote is just does a beautiful work and job at is if you go remote, you will have better KPIs than if you're all in an office. Cause like yeah. we've all met those people in an office that are just sort of like chilling and like, yeah. you don't really know what they do, but they're pretty funny <laughs> and they're cool and, and, and you like hanging out with them and you know, they're maybe they get you cake on Fridays or something like that. But uh, I don't know. I've never worked in an office. I, I think I was that person at one point in time, but I brought donuts every other Friday, but I'm yeah. sure people were like, what the hell does this guy do here? Like, he's, I'm like, I don't know, hang out, you know? Right. And it's just sort of like, it, I actually think, uh, and I'd love to be able to study this in a deeper way, but I think there probably has to be like a higher ratio of like office clowns in an on-premise organization. And mm. you don't need as many office clowns in a remote organization because everyone spends so much time working yeah. on their own versus that collaboration space. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of theories connected to that, but like you see a lot of them, right? And it's just sort of like those people hold the company together in a certain context. You don't need those people when you're working yeah. remotely. I, I love the idea of experimentation and, and starting small. And, um, you know, one of the stories that I love to tell and, you know, we're we're not a re remote and our, our goal isn't to go out and convince people to work remote again. We 
we work with data, we're analytics people, but we're passionate about remote and it comes out in a lot of what we do. We work with a hundred plus year old publishing company based on the East Coast. Um, very rigid in how they work. And the one of the guys we work with there, I, I think kind of saw what we were doing and was was very motivated by it. And he didn't start small by saying, I wanna go work from home a few days a week. He uh, took our framework and went to his boss. And I think took a lot of what you mentioned around putting some structure around it. And he moved his family to Hawaii for a year and wow. worked remote from Hawaii for this East Coast company. And it was amazing, but now I'm thinking about it. I would love to go back in there and think about some of the things you brought up. You know, what are the ripple effects from that? I'm sure they were, the people within that organization were exposed to new technologies, new ways of communicating, new ways of doing work. So we don't know like the impact of that one decision, but I love that, that one person can start small and introduce a team or an organization to lots of things that they had never been exposed to before. We almost see it as like a, <clears throat> a forest fire. So once you have one person that goes remote and can prove the model, and I would say, and this is me just sort of like qualitatively telling you off of a gut feel, probably about 80% of the time, they end up doing this one month experiment and they come back and it's better, right? Like they're producing a higher output. And the reason is, is that like, even just cutting out a two hour commute per day, if you do a 20% crappier job, you're actually still producing the exact same output. So, you know, take that as you may, but, um, it just starts to spread. Yeah. So we just see it like, you know, we'll see one department as an example, go remote. And then they're like, Oh crap. Okay. Well, it, we had, uh, <laughs> we had an example of this inside of a, a customer success team. And this customer success team had like two junior customer support reps to one senior rep and one of these cells went remote and their numbers were something like 40% higher uh, than all of the other cells. And they, they had like eight of them. And then they were just like, what is going on here? That, you know, you're looking at the clear data. It looks like this is going much better. And then they just deployed everyone remote like two months mm -hmm. later. Jim, didn't we have a podcast episode where we talked about how fire spread or did I use that in a presentation? I know I used it in a presentation I, I, yeah, somewhere. I don't think we had, okay. Yeah, I don't unfortunately, think we had about unfortunately, I'm way too familiar with how forest fires spread because my house almost burned down in one. But we, I used the analogy in a presentation in that we all think that forest fires spread in this direct line. Um, but it, they don't. The way the forest fires spread is they they send out these shoots out from the front mm. line called spot fires, which I, I kind of akin to you know one or two people kind of trying this out testing things and then that grows and grows and then gr and then that ultimately uh folds back into the the larger line of fire so it's an it's an interesting analogy to to use another issue is uh jealousy so a lot of people that go remote the on-premise employees are very jealous of them and they say and we'll see these instances where people will basically come into an office and say like, well, why am I not allowed to go remote? Like I should be and able to go remote. And what about vice versa, where the remote employee feels jealous that they're left out of hallway conversations with executives? Yeah. So I actually think, by the way, this will be an interesting, uh, like if you talk about the future of remote work, I think in 10 years, it will not be, and this is like a very strong, uh, this is like a ballsy um, <clears throat> prediction, but I think in 10 years, 
Remote work right now is seen as a company benefit or an employee benefit. I think in 10 years, it will not be seen as that. I think it will be seen as the reverse because mm. companies will realize that remote work is just the model to use and everyone will have to be remote. And then they'll be like, well, I want to work in an office and I want to collaborate you know, with my coworkers and all that kind of stuff. But they'll be like, no, we're not going to friggin' get an office. That's, that's super expensive. That's going to cost 20% of our P&L just to hold you somewhere. No, we're going we're gonna to let you, you know, work on your own. And I think that that's going to happen in the future. There'll be like people that will just say, hey, I want to work uh, on premise. I want to work in an office. Why won't you let me do that? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that will definitely and once be. Once that is done, once that happens, my work is done. I can retire <laughs> completely because everyone on planet Earth will basically be uh, be everyone that's wanted to work remotely will have had the chance to, and uh, I'll just I don't know what I'll do, drink yeah. maybe. So we <laughs> so we we can uh, probably just travel the world, huh? Um, and Airbnb yeah. out your place, maybe get some more Airbnbs. Um, we could keep talking for probably three or four hours and not even get close to scratching the surface on on all these things. But I want to before we wrap up, I want to kind of give you the last word on maybe. It, people that are passionate about remote, um, whether they're an individual contributor, they're building a company, they're running a team, you know, what what kind of tidbits do you want to give them? How can they find out more about, you know, Time Doctor and other solutions? And if they're really passionate about it, how can they get involved in helping? It's a movement, right? And sure. how can they get involved in saying, I want to be part of the voice to help, you know, push this thing forward? Well, I think, uh, and so running remote is my my uh, Friday business. It's my, um, it's my dessert business, I call it, because for me, that's just a passion project. And it really is just talking about what's the playbook for remote? How do you scale this process? How do you get it to the next level? So for anyone that's interested, that would probably be a really good place to go. Uh, if you're interested in attending, it's going to be in Austin this year, April 20th. But if you can't make it there, all of the content is for free on youtube.com slash running remote. So all the talks are put up for free because we believe that just giving people that type of information is going to make them more successful in working remotely. But outside of that, I mean, like, I think it's, and the other thing that's interesting about that conference is we have people like you that don't think that time tracking is the right decision at all. And we have people that think that time tracking is the perfect decision. Uh, it, it is a perfectly great decision. So it's a broad tent, right? So we don't we don't say one group is allowed in versus another group, um, except for Instagram digital nomads, which I do not like. Uh, every other group is allowed to come in, but that's another story that we can talk about. I'm sure about. there's something interesting there we'll probably have to hit on online, offline. Yeah, yeah. No, there's. Yeah. I made a YouTube video about that. I think that they are... Um, Whenever you basically talk about becoming a digital nomad, but yet all of your money is made through selling courses on how to become a digital nomad, mm -hmm. that's a very disingenuous business model, yeah. in my opinion. Um, but outside of that, everyone else can come and you just consume the content, share the content. I think that that's you know, the biggest thing. Just keep listening to podcasts like this. And when you have the opportunity to work remote, if you're not currently doing it, um, you know, the you can always ask that question, right? And it's like the worst that your direct report will say to you is no. And if they say no, just ask why and just be respectful about it. And I think eventually we're going to crack enough, we're going to put enough cracks in that wall that it's just going to bust open. 
Yeah. Love it. Jim, I really appreciate you setting up this conversation. It's, uh, I knew it was going to be awesome, but I think it was even much better than I had anticipated. And, and Liam, definitely appreciate you you joining us and all the work you're doing to help push this initiative forward. We're obviously firm believers in it and believe that this is the the future. So, um, you know, really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I'd love to to catch up again and definitely want to keep a, keep track of, of everything that uh, that you're working on. Yeah, I love ch chatting with what I like to call fundamentalist remote first uh, people. You know, we're just like these extremists that are always talking about how remote work is is the best model. I, I truly believe it is. Uh, yeah. I think that you have that same perspective as well. I have a lot of data to be able to prove that. So for me, it's uh, whenever I can basically, as I said before, put another crack in the wall, I try to do it. Awesome. Well, Jim, any last thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, this was a great conversation. So Liam, definitely uh, appreciate the time. And I'd love to have you back on. I was making some notes as we were talking. Like, I definitely like to dig into a bit more about, you know, an idea I have is like, you know, how can you build a, say, a culture of trust with your employees with time tracking software? Because many think like they're they're mutually exclusive. So that, that's one idea I have. So, but I would love to have you back on for a future sure. episode to dig in, uh, dig in a bit more. Cause like we, I think we've all said, like we could talk about this for, for hours um, I, and you know, 45 think, minutes to an hour is not enough. I think the stuff that um, really does well on podcasts, at least from me doing all of these podcasts is like, if we're talking about a podcast that is remote work friendly, talking about where it's going to go is always something that like people listen to the mm -hmm. entire time. So we can talk about that too, because that's a, a subject that I just think about constantly, um, mm. probably five or six times a day. <laughs> I'm just like, hmm, well, I wonder what that's going to, you know, how that's going to work out. We just implemented an, an experiment where we gave everyone um, VR goggles and we mm. tried to run um, our support meetings in like VR. Oh, very Massive cool. disaster. Massive disaster. Really? Yeah, completely like uh hr nightmare uh we had some because they can build their own avatars we had some very politically incorrect avatars mm. that were at work and uh ended up getting some reports to hr and, and had to shut down the entire program <laughs> you know it was like it, it's one of those things that's like you never think about these variables when you initially like i never thought about someone showing up with like you know a topless alien with four boobs um is something that somebody would do with a, yeah. like a big mohawk but like that's who that person feels like they are online mm -hmm. and that's it, interesting shit. yeah <laughs> interesting because i mean i would have expected the opposite like that was my assumption you know with that you could you know see see you know say better collaboration so yeah let me put put a couple ideas together i'll reach back out and i'd love to dig into a few more of these uh in a bit more detail Sure. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I, so another one as well that I think is is very interesting that I dealt with uh, just at this last conference. We've had so we have both transgender um, workers, and we have um, a worker that approached me recently, talking about how he wanted he was debating whether or not he would get a second wife because he's Saudi Arabian, hmm. and I actually think like. Because we're in 32 different countries, it's like we have such crazy cultural differences in the way that we work. And I've been thinking about our 
HR department constantly about like, how do we adapt to those different types of realities? Because in some countries, certain actions are, are totally cool. And in other countries, that would be seen as insane. And I'm trying to figure out actually how to bridge that gap. Um, it's something I think I'd like to be able to do some videos on or maybe even like a talk on. Uh, it, it's a little, I've got to kind of give it a couple more months to really figure out what the hell is going on. But like, that is a really interesting future of remote work. If remote mm -hmm. work really is evenly distributed across planet Earth, we're going to have some really interesting cultural like smash ups. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, indeed. That's 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 fascinating and sounds like an extremely challenging problem to overcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, cool. um, we good? We're good. Thanks. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Jim. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.